Cry Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com. part of the plan to put a brewery in but for many years it was just a plan it's a hundred percent acquisition of green beacon no we had a chat with everybody anyone would have seen this coming a mile away you know the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing oh yeah that's super simple and direct question it's always fun to get to speak about beer hi i'm Bruce news editor matt kirkegaard and that's just what we're here to do talk about beer. And this week we catch up again with Mighty Craft CEO and Managing Director Mark Hazeman. We first spoke to Mark way back in February 2019, shortly after the business, then named Founders First, announced it had invested in Newcastle's Foghorn Brewhouse. In that conversation, Mark introduced the Craft Beer Accelerator's vision and outlined its unique model. That conversation spurred a lot of interest from brewers who reached out to us afterwards wanting to be put in contact with Mark, which certainly spoke of the promise that the vision for the business held out. This week, two years after it listed on the ASX, I wanted to revisit those earlier conversations and see how the business was delivering on its early vision. While craft beer was a major focus in our early chats, the business has more recently spoken extensively about its plans for spirits. It has enunciated a shifting focus for its hospitality plans. And most recently, the once founders-focused craft accelerator has had what is apparently its biggest success with a manufactured, marketing-driven mainstream beer brand, something seemingly quite different to what it set out to do. It also continues to lose a bit of money. As with anything new and different, it can be hard to measure success with a model such as that being pioneered by Mighty Craft, especially when, at least to my eyes, aspects of it defy business conventions around scale and growth. As a public company, there's a little bit more transparency into the business as well that we can dig into. So with all that background, I wanted to catch up with Mark to dig a little deeper into the model, how it was progressing, and put some of those questions I had around the viability of the business and whether it's continuing to evolve. As you'll hear, it's a pretty probing chat that goes places I haven't seen covered before elsewhere. And I thank Mark for being so willing to jump into it. Mark Hazeman, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Matt. How are you? Not too bad. I should say welcome back because I think this is our third formal chat. Um, you know, you, you feature regularly on our pages, but this is the third time you featured on the podcast. Yeah, thank you. No, great to be back. And in, in actual fact, it's uh, two years to the day that we actually listed um, on the ASX. So it's kind of nice to be talking to you um, as, as we tend to as uh, some of the, the key milestones roll around for for Mighty Craft. So, uh, no, thank you for having me on. Very much so. And it's, it's almost three years. I think it was February 2019, you know, back in the good old days when days were sunnier and borders were, um, you know, more passable that we first spoke. Yes. No, it's, um, it's, it's been a while and a lot's happened since then uh, in the world around us and uh, in each of our businesses. So, uh, no, good to have the opportunity to talk to you about it. Let's get into that because we've seen, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's been a year of regular announcements from uh, Mighty Craft as it is now, Founders First when we first spoke. Um, may, maybe give us the, uh, you know, executive summary of what you see as the achievements. 
Yeah, look, I think uh, it's been a been a massive year for us. Uh, you know, the the headwinds of COVID uh, obviously have been a real challenge uh, for the industry, and you know, it, it's been very difficult. Uh, I think for everyone in the industry to to cope with that in terms of one looking after their people. Uh, managing through what's been a difficult time where we probably thought, you know, this year we're going to come out and open up and then uh, we were sort of back into lockdown again, uh, particularly New South Wales and Victoria really feeling the brunt of that uh, and trying to keep our people up and about as well as safe and, you know, keep them in their in their jobs as well um, during these challenging times. So, yeah, look, I, I think for us uh, it's been a, a big 18 months probably actually uh, and over over that time really what we've been focused on, Matt, is to to build what we call a, a, our platform for growth, um, which is which is now largely complete, uh, and you know to, to be growing strongly while we've been building that has been very challenging. So, you know, we've in, been investing in or acquiring a bunch of businesses while we're still trying to meet our customer needs with the portfolio that we have, um, and dealing with that you know heavily uh, COVID disrupted environment, uh, which has been been difficult for everyone. So. I guess what we're most happy with, I would say, is uh, you know we, we've kept um, kept our team together uh, and built what I think is a, a really strong team, and we're you know, very happy with our top line growth in FY21, and and certainly uh, year to date that growth has continued strongly, and uh, certainly feel that our business model is resonating well with customers and consumers out there, uh, and the growth of our brands are evident of that. Uh, and I think going forward now, you know, for us really uh, looking to drive not just the top line but of course the bottom line and and uh, leverage the platform that we've built in terms of the people and the capability and the the expertise we're building within our team to to really drive uh, the businesses that we've invested in and, and the development of our people and have an even greater impact in uh, in 2022 let's dig into a little bit so when you say your platform for growth what you know, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so I think what what I mean by that is uh, the the way we operate. So uh, obviously, two parts to our business: we we invest in businesses and brands and and back people to help them grow, and then we kind of have our, um, our I guess our shared services offering, which is the the sales, distribution, marketing, supply chain service that we provide to those that we invest in. Um, so for us, that platform is is really that crew, um, you know, supported by technology and process to enable us to. Uh, make sure we can preempt what we think we're going to sell, work back with the breweries and distilleries so they can make to that um, and work with our customers to sort of bring that to life. So when I talk about our platform, it's really that operating platform that we have um, in terms of our people, processes and, and uh, the, the technology that we have sitting underneath that to uh, enable us to, to scale uh, without having to invest a whole lot more into that uh, once we've sort of got all that set up. So, so that's really what I talk about, uh, what, what I mean when I talk about our investment in our platform for growth. In hearing that explanation um, for platform for growth, I, you know, I, I hear a lot about the, sort of the, the, the business um, elements. I don't hear a lot about product, for example. Um, you know, yep. uh, Mighty Craft was a, a craft accelerator. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 th- I think, you know, two years after... To, you, you lodged um, the, the the volumes that we're seeing from the the, the beer volumes um, that we've, mm-hmm. we've seen. I, I think you're 1.7 million liters in your latest annual report um, and, and annually. Yep, that sounds right. Yep. 
and this week we did see uh, you know a big announcement about uh, Better Beer, which is your mm-hmm. um, partnership with the Inspired Unemployed, where you're hoping that 2022 will get to three million liters. That's right. An interesting pivot, I guess, is is the word that the Better Beer doesn't really fit within that craft beer category. Um, and in fact, you even uh, were, were quoted um, in, in our article saying that uh, it was a mainstream, um, mainstream beer is a huge category in Australia and Better Beer has clearly struck a chord with a wide spectrum of enthusiastic beer consumers. How does that fit within a craft beer accelerator when you've gone to mainstream and that seems to be where you've got uh, your, your brand tentpole? Yeah, I think really the way I look at it, Matt, um, there's a, I guess there's a lot of discussion around uh, what, you know, what, what is craft, um, you know, what isn't craft. And I guess the, the focus really uh, for, for me is thinking about, you know, what, what's the macro theme within beer, um, what, what's happening. Um, certainly the, the macro theme of, of craft is, is very strong um, and is continuing to grow. And, and, you know, our brands are growing way ahead of the market and our peers. So, we're seeing this flight to local uh, continuing uh, and uh, also the flight to premium and better for you drinks uh, is very clear. So I think through our sort of portfolio strategy, uh, we're really well placed uh, to take advantage of that. Uh, and, you know, what we are looking to do, I suppose, is to keep bringing scale um, to our beer business. Uh, if we just talk about beer for a moment, uh, to, to get the economies of scale for, for all of the brands to capitalise on. So, by having that platform, it gives us the chance to, you know, keep building. Um, you know, when our, you know, for example, uh, our, I guess our, our, our beer portfolio before we started working with the Inspired Unemployed and, and Better Beer, uh, th- those brands are continuing to grow strongly. We don't expect those to come off uh, in any shape or form. And in, in, in fact, our sort of strongest growing beer brand uh, on a year-to-date basis is, is Jetty Road, which is which is doing very well after a very difficult period uh, in, in Victoria with the on-premise and so on. Uh, and uh, businesses like Ballistic growing strongly uh, along with Mismatch, that obviously that's come into our portfolio during the year as part of the Adelaide Hills transaction. So, you know, look, I think the way that I look at it is that, you know, craft to us is more about an ethos. You know, it, it's celebrating uh, the, the entrepreneurial spirit and the passion and the commitment to the category. And so, uh, we, we definitely are playing in that sector. Um, you know, the better beer opportunity is there to probably come in at the, the entry-level craft, I would say, the bottom end that is is taking drinkers from mainstream. Um, and it's not that we're looking to create, you know, necessarily a mainstream brand, but, you know, it's a, it's still a $60 case-type purchase. Um, and it's it's definitely got all the challenges of uh, what you would suggest or what you would experience within uh, within craft in terms of, you know, the, the production and, uh, you know, the challenges of dealing with growth uh, and so on. It's just a different way, I guess, of bringing a beer brand to, to market. So, look, we, you know, I, I suppose I focus more on uh, what we're trying to do with our total business to, to drive growth and bring scale and, uh, you know, uh, better beer is certainly going to help uh, some of these other beer brands keep growing. And um, just like in our spirits portfolio, bringing on, uh, a, a business like 78 Degrees uh, that has established scale um, and is still absolutely premium, uh, but, you know, that's starting to to prove a bit of a Trojan horse in our spirits category as well uh, to push in and create new opportunities uh, for, for more ranging for other brands like Seven Seasons, Kangaroo Island Spirits and the like. So, uh, look, I, I think, uh, you know, we're 
always taken a portfolio approach and that the way I would look at better beer is is not so much as mainstream, but it's actually just drawing some of those mainstream drinkers and they're trading up um, into uh, into that product. So, yeah, that, that you know, a long-winded answer to your question, Matt, but that's the, the way that I see it. <laughs> you, you, you've, you've thrown a lot uh, out in there, so I'm, again, I might yeah. have to sort of uh, dig back um, into some sure, of that. Sure, sure. You, you, you've said growth um, a couple of times, talking about the, the, the craft brands. Um, mm. What sort of growth has Jetty Road, for example, seen over the last uh, 12 months um, in, in terms of volume? growth i mean really for the last uh, the last quarter sort of still still growing at around uh you know 40 percent plus so uh you know strong growth coming out of covid um and the, the financial year uh 2021 was slightly less than that with a lot of the on-premise sort of closing um so you know that that's still growing really strongly and we we certainly expect jetty road to continue to be a, a big part of our portfolio going forward of course and and, and keep growing strongly and you know, some of these other brands like Ballistic, you know, still growing sort of 15 to 20% um, on, on much bigger bases uh, than the, the same time last year. So, uh, you know, I expect, uh, you know, that we can continue to, if our proposition is meeting the retailers' needs and the punters are enjoying our beers, then, you know, I don't have any reason to suggest that that, that growth will come off. Okay, so we'll just talk about Jetty Road for a sec. So it's growing sure. at about 40%, um, and it, it's the one that you own 100%? now these days uh not yet so um we uh yeah we're sort of in the midst of uh an offer to the jetty road shareholders uh grant and blake obviously stepping out um and and looking to do something else so uh yeah we're sort of uh you know 80 plus percent of that um and and i expect that to to be a a bigger stake in in jetty road in the in the next few months uh to come but yeah it's obviously one of our, our it's our first our first business that we've invested in, mm. so a lot of passion uh, from, within, from within our team uh, for that particular product. So it's grown at forty percent. You have it's it's one of your larger shares. Is it profitable? Is it is it making money on that growth? It's uh, it's certainly on the path to profit. So you know, a big part <laughs> so, of these, so it's not yeah, so effectively. It's not, it's not. Yeah, it's not at the moment. Um, and you know, the the brew pubs are a really important part of mm. these early stage breweries as they grow to scale, as you would appreciate. So, you know, if you're investing hard um, into the brand, uh, you create that experience in the venues. Uh, and you know, with Dramana, uh, you know, being being closed for a decent chunk of the the first quarter mm, um, and course. and impacted last year as well uh, and and even lawn um, you know has been closed over the over the winter so yeah we really need those venues to to keep driving um, you know the not just that to support the top line but also overly support the bottom line we invest it while we invest in building the brand um, and, and get it to that critical point of scale so that the, the total business is turning a profit so you know we, we look to probably do that within jetty road uh if not during fy22 certainly uh fy23 would be the year that we should get to the sort of scale we need to for jetty road to be profitable in its own right uh inclusive of the the wholesale as well as the venues and, and that's where you you've just used the second word i wanted to come back to which was scale mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. so you're growing but mm-hmm. the model is a very decentralised um, business model where you've invested in breweries around the country. Yeah. If any one of those does actually reach scale, none of them are actually big enough to produce that beer at scale. Um, you, you don't have a brewery in, in, in your network that can produce beer um, cost-effectively at scale. 
Yeah, I think we have uh, we have some options there, Matt. I suppose that the the key thing for us is we've got some breweries in each of the the key markets uh, that we think um, can scale as our needs require. Now, obviously, in up in Queensland, we have both Slipstream and Ballistic uh, that one have great brewing capability, but also the opportunity to expand. Yeah. And, you know, I know they're sort of redlining from time to time, certainly at Ballistic at this time of year, and Lockie and the guys are working hard to, to keep up. Um, down in Victoria, we've, you know, obviously we've invested into the Jetty Road Brewery in the past 12 months, uh, and uh, that's, you know, well-placed to sort of deal with our growth profile over the next, uh, I'd say, 12 to 18 months. Uh, and then Mismatch uh, is probably the one that has the biggest capability to scale um, over in the Adelaide Hills um, with Ewan and Dayton and the team there. So, uh, you know, I think it's just a matter of where over the next couple of years, where the growth really comes from and, you know, whether we decide to expand one or two of those to create uh, a bigger brewery of scale within the network. Um, you know, or or we use a bit of outsourced uh, contract brewing to to bring some more efficiency into the model. So, it's really a combination of all of those things to make sure we're working our capital uh, the right way, but also, um, you know, continuing to build our internal capability to produce, but uh, you know, not not max out our people at the same time because it's even mismatch at the moment uh, on the basis of, you know, we, now that we are doing the the sales with the combined team. Uh, really, you know, the last six or eight weeks have been really busy as, as things open up. And I know that the, the team there are really, again, redlining over peak uh, to keep up. Um, so, which is a nice problem to have. Um, but, uh, you know, it's as, as things are opening up, Matt, uh, things are probably growing a little ahead of where we thought they would be, which is a really positive thing. But, you know, we have to enable the team to keep up with that growth, which is uh, always a challenge. Mm. Oh, and, and we've come back to growth, but again, looking at that question of scale, you know, if mm. Ballistic has a, um, a a tearaway success with one beer, yeah, you know, do you invest in increasing their volume? But then, what happens uh, when um, Slipstream, you know, which is its uh, crosstown um, yeah. cousin, um, you know, if they have a success, do they use the um, Ballistic? capacity or do they have to expand as well um which would seem to be a very inefficient model or you know having a mismatch uh, having a brewery in adelaide that is expanding but then not being able to you capture the growth from one of your other breweries in the network with their scale yes yeah, so i think i think it's a bit of a balancing act um and as uh we get the other side of peak we can have a better look at you know what, what our sort of networked production solution looks like uh because you know, there's also the cost of moving the product around the country. And, uh, you know, certainly uh, the good thing is, particularly up at Slipstream, we've got, you know, a, a, a brew house that can do a lot more volume than what they're doing at the moment and um, is built for that growth. We just need to add more tanks. So it'll be just, a, you know, making those measured steps to make sure we're not investing too far ahead of the curve. But, um, you know, we do have some flexibility, I guess, across the, the, the main three or four being Slipstream, uh, Ballistic, Jetty Road and Mismatch. Uh, where we can move a bit of volume around if we need to, um, to to help take pressure off one of the others. Uh, but yes, we'll need to get that forward-looking production footprint. You're right; it doesn't make sense for us economically to invest in, you know, to to create, you know, three or four big breweries. So, I would suspect we'd sort of look to make uh, make one or two champions uh, within our uh, network uh, to bring the economies of scale. 
but then also use the likes of, you know, where we uh, better beer is being produced um, out of Griffith at Casellas, uh, uh, um, who are doing a fine job with that and the opportunity to potentially uh, do some more production there, you know, is definitely something we can look at uh, so that we can optimise uh, the production network within Mighty Craft and, and with our partnership with them now through the, the Better Beer business. Which again, coming back to the to the model for, you know, Founders First and then mm. uh, Mighty Craft, you, you've invested, you know, in craft breweries at a, not an insignificant investment in them. Um, and yep. yet f- for the scale that you're talking about, uh, you're going to a third party, um, which really like when you are contract brewing it doesn't really give you the benefit of that scale because you're toll brewing effectively um so you're outsourcing your scale to uh to to, to another producer yeah so i think again it's just a, a, a balancing act looking at the overall requirements we have to produce uh you know we're fortunate that we have a um you know a very good relationship with with the casellas and uh with, with coke making a change in relation to their their beer production uh there, there's some capacity there and uh, you've got another you know australian privately owned company um you know willing to support an australian listed company um and uh, to, to to leverage and bring more efficiency to their brewery so look i think as long as you know, we're not adding to the load of our people and we're maximising what we're putting through our own breweries and, and driving the most efficient outcome we can across the network, um, you know, then I think, you know, we're, we're in a pretty good place. So, But I'll, I'll just stop you there because it doesn't sound like it's a particularly efficient model that you've got investing in small, inefficient breweries nationally that can't scale and when they do scale going to a, another provider. The capacity that you just mentioned that Coca-Cola has, they were contract brewing before the um, Founders First model started um you know yep. that was an option uh three years ago rather than investing in uh you know breweries you know expensively in breweries when that capacity was there already yes yeah, so i think you know we, we have always been very much a brand-led business so you know our our passion has been to um unlike some others that have gone before us in the industry where we really wanted to rather than building um, huge production uh, somewhere and 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 then build our brands off that. Uh, we wanted to support uh, local communities, local businesses um, and invest into uh, the breweries and the brew pubs um, to to create a great experience and connect those brands into the community. So nothing has changed there. But your biggest, uh, your, your most successful brand has been something that's got nothing to do with community and nothing to do with uh, local. It's uh, got to do with some social media influences and is playing in the space that is the opposite of the, the, the craft beer space, even though I take your point that you know it's an introductory beer for, for craft beer. So mm. that sounds nice, but the reality is that your most successful product has been the opposite of all of those things. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's, I guess our portfolio evolves and, you know, we, we still have great passion for investing into local businesses and local communities. And that, that will, you know, for us, we, we have, um, you know, a bunch of different businesses and brands we've invested in. And you only have to look at what we've done at Jetty Road or what we've done at Slipstream in creating a great venue on the back of the brewery um, and what we've, you know, what we've got happening up at Mismatch in Adelaide Hills. Uh, and then Kangaroo Island, where we've invested significantly into the community. Now, um, it doesn't make sense for us to do that everywhere, um, and we're not going to do that everywhere. Um, and you're right, the Better Beer brand is a different way of going to market. 
Um, and um, it, it's a different, I would actually say it's a different type of community um, that the boys are building through their um, through their social equity, if you like, social media um, following and, and the, the equity they have out there in the market. So, you know, it would be foolish to suggest that that's a model that you can continue to do and replicate all the time. Um, you know, I think for us, it's about having a portfolio play, which we always had. And, um, you know, that that is a, is a different style of business, but it doesn't mean that we're any less committed to um, building the craft community and uh, building uh, businesses that, you know, to a point we'll invest in them, um, but we're not going to obviously uh, create three, four, you know, scale breweries around the country because to, to your point, Matt, mm. it doesn't make sense to do that. We can't compete on that basis with the big guys. We have to build the brand, build that sense of local community, connect them in through the brew pub or brew pubs in those in those states where we're building the brands. And, um, you know, for us, it's uh, evolving that and then then build them out into other markets after that. And, uh, you know, uh, Better Beer has certainly been a, a, a runaway success in its early stages, but, um, you know, it, it's very new to market and, uh, you know, it's it's got a job to do ahead of it, although we couldn't have been happy with the start. But, you know, that's, uh, you know, it, it's, it's not uh, a, a normal way of building brands. It's quite a disruptive play for us to be involved in. And, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we're going to step back from, you know, I guess how we started and uh, and how we, you know, can look to continue to build the mighty craft business. I guess if I boil it down to, to, to one question, um, you know, I hear you talking about passion and community and growth and scale. Um, mm-hmm. How is that going to translate into making money, um, you know, 1.7 million litres um, of expensively produced, you know, individually um, fairly low volume craft beer isn't a very profitable way of making money for a business that has, uh, you know, sunk the, the, the costs that Mighty Craft has. Yeah, so I think, you know, what you then, uh, you need scale through your business overall to, to make the, the whole work and, uh, you know. <laughs> Which again, we, where's, uh, yeah. I, I'm still not quite sure where that scale is going to come from if eight breweries are all making a little bit more beer than they are, um, that's not scale. And then when you've got a brand like um, Better Beer that does seem to be hitting scale very, very quickly, it's I would argue so ballistic is is uh, you know only probably a year to eighteen months away from being a brand of of meaningful scale. Um, Jetty Road is not far behind that. Mismatch um, Hillsider, for example, are already brands of scale and profitable businesses. Um, and you know Slipstream will take a little bit longer. Um, but you know there there there's you know four or five brands potentially that um, without even talking about better beer that are. Uh, products and businesses of scale that will enable them to, uh, you know, make money in their own right. And then when you overlay uh, potentially the opportunity to to use some network production to, to help, um, that's where we then start to get, you know, the cost of goods efficiencies and to buy better and do these sorts of things. So, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I probably beg to differ. I, I think there's, you know, probably half a dozen brands on the beer side that that uh, and cider, uh, which obviously is still an important category in the country, that that can get to scale. Um, and if if brands like Better Beer help, you know, fast track, um, you know, the the growth and and profitability of the the business overall, then that's great. Um, but the the, the call that we started with, you know, still has its job to do, and and we certainly, um, you know, haven't changed our approach in relation to, to building those out. Your point is well made, though, that to have, you know, four or five uh, beer brands 
of scale where you then have to produce all of them individually at their own breweries um, is is something we're going to need to steer into down the track and it only really makes sense for us to have, you know, one or two breweries of scale, but that doesn't mean that you can't still have um, a, a great brewery uh, with an amazing cellar door um, that's, that's producing a bunch of the the specialty range and so on that do command a premium price that means that the business can can continue to make money mm. so that that you know it's not a simple model it's why you know no one's really done it to date um and you know with uh with beer i feel like uh you know we've talked a lot about spirits in the last 12 18 months but there's certainly been no uh, lack of focus on continuing to execute the beer strategy and and feel like uh, you know we're we're in really good shape in terms of where those businesses in their own right are going. You mentioned that you know a brand like Ballistic um, is going to get to scale. What what do you consider is scale for a, you know what sort of volume achieve scale for a brand like uh, Ballistic? Yeah, I think you know once that starts to sort of get to. 800,000 to a million litres, um, it starts to, you know, with a strong growth profile um, and then you overlay the, the venue strategy that the guys are implementing up there, uh, you know, it starts to, to look like a, a really good business and we know that the brand is certainly resonating um, given the results in Gabs and, and the like. So, you know, that that really hasn't changed at all. So uh, that that's it's probably around that, you know, we've often talked about, uh, you know, the valley of death between sort of 250 to 300,000 litres and a million litres and mm. you've got to push through that as quickly as you can and the closer you can get to the top end of that, um, the, the better off you are and uh, once you push through that, then you can start to, to drop some more heavy dollars to the bottom line and if you've got a venue or two that's making uh, profit as well, then it just helps take a bit of that pressure off the volume build. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the way that that we we look at it at a macro level. Mm. But I, I, I guess that, that's where I, I find it interesting that the the valley of death that you talk about, you know, is is the the volume that an individual brewery would be looking at. Um, so even if you get a brand like uh, Slipstream or you know Ballistic that does you know hit that million liters individually, I, I, I guess for Mighty Craft as a business, you're being sandbagged by the other breweries that you know, are still vastly inefficient in the network and are a drain on any profitability that that one uh, scale business reaches. Yeah, but I think, you know, if, if you're brand led, you have to be prepared to do your time and, and build these brands out. And if you're, there will come a point at which some of the brands are, are not necessarily going to push through to get to that scale. But if you've optimised the brewery build so that it's still as efficient as it can be and you've got a good venue attached to it, it can still make money. Um, it's just a matter of if you invest into a brewery to expect it to do, say, 2 million litres and it's only doing, you know, 300,000 litres, then, you know, you, you've over-invested and it makes it difficult. So I think that's why we just have to keep monitoring and, and uh, you know, invest a little ahead of the curve in the, in the breweries that we have in the network, uh, but but not over-invest until, you know, you know, just sequence the investment to make sure that it's going to work for us. And uh, to your point, your point, if geographically we can can find uh, one of the breweries that can um, perhaps take a bit of the load for the others, uh, then that, that makes sense. But, yeah, you know, we do have premium price products and, uh, uh, you know, Ballistic and Jetty Road, Slipstream, Foghorn, they're not, they're not cheap. And, um, mm. you know, to get the growth they're getting um, is, is terrific and, uh, and at, at that price point. But that's why, you know, we're, we, we leave the pricing where it is because we, we need to be able to um, drive scale but do so in a responsible way for the, the price points we need to hit to cover the cost base of the business. So, yeah, it's all a, all a balancing act and, um, you know, but we're, I, I feel like we're making really good progress and I think our shareholders will see 
particularly in the second half of FY22, that the whole model whole model is starting to hang together. Um, you know, from not just a, a, a beer and spirits perspective, but within spirits and within beer as well. So, uh, you know, but it, yeah, it's a lot to work through and uh, across the different categories. It's really interesting to be involved in, and these are all the sorts of conversations we have internally to work out how we can sort of optimise the performance of the business and um, the businesses, and, and work with those in in the particular business units to to achieve what they're trying to achieve as well. Which again, uh, so far I've focused on the scale and the profitability of individual businesses and whether they're reaching you know, efficiencies. But then mm. the other thing about Mighty Craft is the business itself is actually an overlay over the top of these individual, you know, relatively inefficient production businesses. And just even going through your latest um, results, I think the, you know, with the top four executives and the board payments, it's you know over two million dollars payments just on senior management a year for, for for the company, and you know that's a lot of low margin beer that needs to be sold just to pay for your your top management team without the you know all of the the, the business units um, that, that that are fairly it's it's not a a small business um, in in head office at Mighty Craft. No, and that's really because we have this shared services offering that we provide to the partners that we invest in. So we take on, you know, what, what happens is, you know, Ballistic, Jetty Road, Falkhorn, et cetera, don't need to invest in their own sales team um, or marketing necessarily or supply chain. Uh, we, we basically take that on and, yes, we charge a commission for that and a fee for service. Um, but what we're doing is building effectively a, a shared services offering that can uh, work across um, the beer businesses, cider business, spirits, RTDs, um, seltzer, and and look after the customer and deal with all of those issues. And so for each of those businesses to do that in their own right um, would be more expensive than what it is to leverage uh, what we call as the operating machine of, of Mighty Craft or the operating engine. So that's where you get the economies of scale. Um, but even with you taking that burden off the, the, the breweries, Mm-hmm. None of them, if any, are actually making a profit at this stage. So no, but I, I'd say they're closer to doing that than what they would have been if they had to invest in their own sales, marketing, and supply chain. And uh, you know, as as we get a couple of brands of of more scale into the network, then that helps reduce the cost for everyone. Um, and you know, we've always said from the outset we're, we're brand led, and we're going to be playing across beer, cider, spirits, RTDs. Um, and and leverage uh, the, our team to, to drive the sales and distribution. Uh, but we are, you know, w- the reason we weren't going to be breaking even till sort of 2023 initially was because, you know, we needed to invest in our people and our capability to have the platform that we can then leverage. And I guess what I'm saying to you, Matt, now is that we are getting very close to that point now where that, that operating leverage is really kicking in and uh, that the efficiencies come. And obviously being a listed company as well, we have responsibilities to shareholders from a governance and compliance perspective that mean you need to have a proper board structure, you need to have a proper management team and company secretarial and legal and all these sorts of things. So yes, that does come with a cost, but if we can create um, you know, the really high capability that we have within our organisation to provide a service back to each of these businesses that we've invested in, um, you know, they're getting access to the, the calibre of people that they couldn't afford in their own right um, and are paying less for it than what they would have to do if they were, you know, investing in their own team. So that's, that's where it sort of needs to get to and, and then eventually it uh, starts to work for everyone. 
Mm. Uh, again, look, look I, I have yeah. to admit, I'm not a, I don't have a background in business, but having been a, you know, spent a lot of time talking to, to, to brewery owners and trying to understand their business, um, that, that's what drives a lot of this. So it's, you know, it's, it's always a challenge for me to, to, to look um, at balance sheets and things. But, you know, one of the things I did uh, when I was this morning before we, we, we chatted is I looked at the Good Drinks um, the annual report as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, the, the two businesses, have a very similar market cap. I think you know, low um, hundred million, you know, uh, hundred and six or hundred and nine or something like that. So, yep. r- roughly similar. Good Drinks has a significant centralised production facility with uh, you know a spoke model of small, you know, local um, breweries that build the brands, but um, you know. Their, their production is very much centralised, and they're making you know almost eighteen million litres um, annually, um, and you know fifty one million dollar revenue, and on with a ten million um, EBITDA. You know, yep. Mighty Craft had thirty one million revenue and a loss of fifteen million, um, and and that's where I'm sort of trying to work out where the scale and efficiencies are going to come um, with the model that that, that you've taken. Yeah, and I think they're two really uh, great question, Matt. I think two really different approaches. So, um, you know, Gage Roads basically took a production-led approach um, and uh, built a brewery um, over in the west there, which is, you know, invested a lot of money into that. Uh, it's very you know, high-quality brewery, very efficient, um, and, we, you know, basically started as a production business and have been gradually building their brands over time and talk about, you know, the, the growth of their branded product. Um, so, you know, they're, they're building out and they're now starting to invest in brands and doing, you know, the venues and, and so on as well. So that's good, but it's fundamentally a very different approach, whereas we are taking a brand-led um, approach, build out the businesses, um, get them to a point of scale, and that's when we'll start to get the operational efficiencies coming. So that's why it's been a drag on our bottom line. Um, you know, our growth profile remains strong and will continue to be so. But, you know, we... we got a, dip, a different strategy um, and we're executing a different strategy. So um, in the fullness of time, you know, you, you'll have one that's been production-led to where they where they are and uh, that, that seems to be working well for them and, and we're, we're, we're brand-led and taking a different approach. Well, they actually describe themselves as a house of brands rather than a branded house. Um, so that, that's where I'm trying to understand where the, different, the difference in the model and your model you know, you, you even said it again, um, you know, operational efficiencies. And mm-hmm. when you look at the two businesses, theirs seems to be the one that, you know, has the ability to actually capitalise on its brands because its operational efficiencies are actually locked into its model. Your model doesn't seem to be particularly efficient. Yeah, so I think, you know, we're, I'm not really going to comment on, on their business. I think that the guys course, are doing a good yeah. job and they've got, you know, got a terrific team and uh, and doing really well but I think what we are is you know we're very much you know a diversified beverage business and um, you know we have exposure to not just beer and cider uh, but now white spirits dark spirits seltzer um, and uh, pushing into whiskey so you know we are we're a very different business um, the caliber of our management team needs to be able to look across all of those categories and understand them and deal with them um, which brings a different level um, of experience and capability potentially so uh, but we're looking to unlock growth um, across 
multiple categories um, and work with the big retailers to do that. So, um, yeah, very much a, you know, a, so, so there's different efficiencies that come, I suppose. You're sort of focusing on the production and I get that. Um, that said, we're one of the three biggest spirits producers in the country. So mm. with that, um, you know, we, we make amazing award-winning um, spirits out of the 78 or Adelaide Hills distillery and, you know, we're investing into Kangaroo Island spirits to to produce some, you know, uh, to ramp that up as well to highly award-winning sort of businesses that are, you know, a big production businesses in spirits. Mm. Um, and so over time, you know, uh, th- that's going to obviously be an advantage for us. Um, in beer, uh, we've invested in smaller businesses to date. And yes, it does has brought a level of inefficiency on the production side. And uh, that's something, you know, that we need to deal with down the track. But that there is efficiencies when it comes to, you know, sales, marketing and supply chain and, and sort of using using that across multiple businesses within beer and cider, but then also across spirits at the same time. So look, I just think we're, we're you know, we're quite different. Your points are, mm. are well made. Um, we've both started, you know, the Gage Roads guys and where we started are, are very different places where we're going in our ambition um, is very different as well. Um, and, you know, our ambition, it doesn't just sort of include uh, beer and cider and venues to support those growth. It also includes, um, you know, quite a big spirits ambition and a whiskey ambition as well. Yeah, and, and again, I'm probably not well qualified to speak too much on spirits, but then also, you know, whiskey is a, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of like a future play. So we might have to come back to that in a year or two sure, when, yeah, no when, when that unveils yeah. itself, because at the moment it's yeah. a little bit like, a, you know, we're, we're putting it on the never never. Um, you know, that, that, that's for future us to worry about um, and hopefully uh, pay off. Um, I, I guess I'm looking at the, you know, how viable scale and economies are in 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 the beer business and if i could just return to the the better beer for a second sure what is the the partnership because so so the um inspired unemployed uh guys uh, are 50 50 or is it 60 40 it's a uh... yeah so we, we've got uh you might recall talkie beverages um talkie bev company is uh the kind of the incubator business within the mighty craft portfolio so nick cogger very passionate founder of that business um sort of uh, started off with sort of Kay Booch uh, is doing Nosh as well, which is doing mm-hmm. uh, very well. Um, and uh, the opportunity came to, to work with Matt and Jack through Nick. Uh, yeah, so we've got a, you know, 60-odd percent stake in in Torquay Bev. And then Torquay Bev um, basically uh, has uh, invested into the better beer business. And uh, so, and there's sweat equity for, for Matt and Jack um, as, as part of that arrangement. Uh, for them to put, you know, they work. They work really hard. They're, they're putting uh, a huge amount of work into uh, building awareness of the brand and, and helping them market the brand. Uh, so yeah, the boys earn some sweat equity through that. And so sweat equity, do they get a share in the business through that, or do they get a like a um, a payment, um, like a commission payment or a, you know a percentage, a licensing fee, for example? Yeah, they they get a um, they get a share of that. Uh, they, they get equity into the Better Be business in its own right. Um, so yeah, that's they sort of earn their their equity in that um, by uh, yeah the work that they're doing at the moment to to really build the brand out and uh, the boys uh, sit on the board as well. Matt and Jack sit on the board of uh, of uh, Better Beer uh, with uh, a couple of the, the crew from Torquay Bev. So you know it's a you know really I guess looking to build the business together um, and and so everyone can do well and yeah, certainly is uh, hit the ground running. Do they get shares in Mighty Craft or it's shares in Torquay or is it shares in Better Beer? Shares in Better Beer Co itself. 
Okay, so yep. so Mighty Craft has sixty percent of Torquay, and Torquay has a percentage of Better Beer. Yeah, it has a majority stake in in Better Beer, and then the boys have Sweat Equity um, to, uh, to to build on the other side. Yeah. Okay, there was a, a big announcement that you're hoping you know two three million liters next year. Um, I, I'd imagine then looking at that because it's through. Endeavour Drinks Group, it's exclusively through them um, and they're fairly good to go. I know you've got a good relationship with them through some of your key staff, but they would be um, fairly uh, aggressively pricing that through you, I'd imagine. And then you're toll brewing it, which means you don't really get the efficiencies of that. And then you have a percentage of a percentage of the brand itself. So it doesn't sound like even if it really takes off on a low margin business, in a more mainstream space that there's a huge um, profit upside to Mighty Craft, uh, even if it does take off. Yeah, no, I think, you know, probably best to be judged in the fullness of time um, as to, to what the business can do. I think, yeah, certainly it's exclusive from a package uh, package perspective with, with EDG mm-hmm. um, and ranged in all their sort of DANs and BWS. So that, that's been terrific. But um, in terms of kegs, um, that uh, has been certainly well received out in the market. We've only just got the kegs out in the last week or so, but that's available more broadly uh, once we're able to sort of get um, get the reliability of production um, based on you know the demand being a lot greater than what we'd expected um, in the first few weeks. Uh, but I think you know uh, we can access um, some good pricing, um, and you know I expect it will be a significant contributor to Mighty Craft profit. Um, and you know, we'll, I guess we'll see that over the fullness of time, and maybe the next time we'll chat, we'll we'll have some numbers out that will sort of show that uh, you know it's it's going to be extremely positive. So, hundred percent, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, because we you know we we take on all the sales and distribution, of course, for them, and um, and then there's a fee structure attached to that, which means that uh, you know it ends up being uh, very helpful for the the Mighty Craft Network in in totality. Um, I'm very conscious of time. Um, so there, there's just a couple of other things that when I was uh, sure. reading Go back over this, you know, as I said, we've uh, done a lot of stories on Minecraft uh, over the last 12 or 18 months. One of the ones I'd completely forgotten about was the share program that you launched um, a year ago. In fact, December 23 last year um, with Upstreet. Upstreet. Yeah, yes. where's that yes. going? Because I, I, when I jumped yeah. on their website, I didn't see you listed uh, on it anymore. Or I didn't see you listed on it. Yeah, you know, we're still doing some work with it. Um, and most of that work was done through our venues. Uh, we were trialling uh, a, a bunch of things in terms of uh, the fractional shares and building that loyalty base. So, um, yeah, that that, uh, that probably took a bit of a hit when we got in uh, into impacted by COVID and venues were uh, closed and under pressure. So, you know, we're, we're looking to reboot, um, doing more on that uh, with, with Christian and the team from Upstreet in the new year. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, probably didn't um, didn't get the momentum that we'd hoped uh, impacted by the, the venue closures. So yeah, we're looking to to bring that back through more strongly uh, next year. And, and what is the venue strategy? Um, how how would you summarise that? Because you know we saw Jetty Road going to Melbourne and then not, and you know that was a bit of a, um, a financial hit to that. Um, yeah, we've seen some stuff around the Hunter region uh, that that you bought and I think have sold, but leasing back or yep. what? what is the venue strategy for Mighty Craft? Yeah, so the venue strategy for us is is very much around um, building the brand ex- experience and, and bringing the community into the brand. So 
even if you use Chetty Road in, in Victoria, you know, our home uh, down in Germana, um, you know, is doing very well and the venue's doing, doing well right next to the brewery. Uh, for us to get a strong footprint in our local market, uh, we were coming into Melbourne and as you as you pointed out, um, we, we had secured a venue in South Melbourne um, or a, a building in South Melbourne mm. to convert into a venue and it was um, you know, really going to be not, not economical to do that once we got into COVID um, and it was just a, a hard call we had to make. Um, and, you know, if you think about Jetty Road as a, a coastal, um, you know, sort of brand and, uh, you know, the, the, the great things about the Victorian regional life, um, you know, to have a venue on the surf coast with Lawn makes sense. So we've got one over there at Lawn that um, will should do really well for us over summer. Um, and uh, I guess the way we've worked around um, how do we get a presence in Melbourne is uh, the, the the venue at Mooney Ponds, uh, which is still called The Mighty, um, has basically had a massive tap takeover by Jetty Road um, and we're sort of decked it out, um, you know, with most of the taps now, uh, Jetty Road um, and the whole experience inside uh, very much about Jetty Road. So, um, yeah, I guess for us really it's leveraging our venues to drive the brands and uh, that's what we'll look to do more of, uh, we'll probably look to do less of uh, where we started out with the, the mighty venues, which were a showcase of our, our whole portfolio and the Hunter Valley. Uh, so, sorry, we did do a sale and lease back of the Germana site mm. down, down at down at Jetty Road, uh, which is really about, you know, we wanted to make sure we could maximise uh, the amount of cash to be invested into the business um, and particularly help uh, insulate us from, uh, you know, further COVID impacts. So uh, we, we sort of invested well in that in that land early and then realised that profit, um, which will sort of come through in the next week or so. Um, so, yeah, I guess really for us it's about prioritising building the brands and the businesses. Um, so owning owning the dirt doesn't always um, – isn't always a priority for us. Um, and the Hunter Valley site um, has been difficult to manage remotely um, for us, so um, it's starting to bounce back to life now. Um, on the on the back of coming out of COVID, but of course, you know, Foghorn is the lead brand up there mm. through Newcastle um, and through the Hunter venue as well. So um, that one's sort of quite easy to sort of point towards Foghorn to, to help sort of drive the, the growth of, of that business. So will we see more mighty branded venues? Because I, I guess for any small brewery, you know, a venue strategy, um, you know, they, they get the retail dollar, they control, you know, they've got guaranteed tap points and so long as they can get people through the door you know it it works well for them but then there's still a finite capacity that any one venue has so i would have thought to Mm. accelerate the entire portfolio of brands you would require a extended network of um venues yeah i think that's i mean that's one approach you can take and certainly one we subscribe to where i think if the brand can be really strong in its local community and have that connection um and then you can expand out from there that that works and so yeah we're it's unlikely, Matt, that we'll be doing more of the mighty style venues um, and would look to sort of focus on the branded venues would be what I would say. Uh, we just sort of do have one exception, I guess, in South Australia, which is Lot 100, uh, which sits up in the Hay Valley there right next to the Mismatch Brewery and right next to the 78 Degrees Distillery um, just across the lawn. And, uh, you know, that that is a, a, an amazing venue in its own right and, again, showcases all of those South Australian brands. Um, and you know that that business is doing exceptionally well. Uh, but look, I think you know we, we we may do potentially a few different expressions of Lot One Hundred over the journey. But on the whole, we'll be focusing on building branded venues like Slipstream with the the amazing sort of uh, 
uh, venue attached to the brewery there uh, in Brizzy, um, and you know that that's more of the approach that we'll be taking going forward. Although, again, I'm looking at Slipstream, which I, I think it's one of the best venues in Brisbane, incidentally, um, to, to sit and have a beer. But mm. um, beautiful venue, Queensland this year hasn't been as badly affected by COVID as many of the other states. Um, and yet yeah. I understand that it's still not profitable and uh, it, it's also doing a lot of contract brewing. It, it sounds like nearly every other brewery in Brisbane is uh, having some beer made there. Yeah, I mean, Slipstream is a profitable business. Uh, oh, it is, and okay. They're, they're, yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're, they're doing well, um, you know, and yeah, they do um, bits and pieces for others as well. So very... Very helpful for the local community to 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 brew some brew some product, and I think you know it is a brewery that can uh, deal with a you know a lot of volume and, and scale um, and complexity. So um, yeah, they do uh, deal, and the team there do some contract brewing for others. But on the whole, yeah, Slipstream's tracking very well, and um, yeah, it's uh, you know good, good growth at the top line. Uh, but importantly, uh, is uh, is turning a profit, which is is good for all of us. Terrific. Oh, that's good. So I must have been looking at an old. Uh an old report um yes yeah definitely you would yeah 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 yeah. no um yes definitely sort of turned the corner up there as things have opened up as you referred to Mm. um and then with the with the venue attached to it as well um is uh is is starting to hit its straps which is which is excellent Mm. and and, and again like it's a it's a favorite of mine and i think it's making Mm. some of the most consistently good beer in the area so uh, congratulations to them yeah yeah no they're doing very well Mark Hazeman, thank you very much for joining us uh, you know, for our now annual uh, chat about all things Mighty Craft. And uh, you know, good luck to you and the team for, for 2022. And most importantly, have a great Christmas. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me on. And uh, always good to, to talk about the beer category with you, mate. And uh, yeah, look forward to catching up with you again in the new year. And I'll learn a little bit about spirits before we do. So <laughs> <laughs> no problem. We can talk whiskey next time, mate. It's a, it's a long build, but it should be exciting uh, growth for, for the business as well. So uh, look forward to that. Well, whiskey is my uh, it, it, it is my pleasure that I don't have to, uh, you know, turn into a work. So uh, I, I, that, that might change before we speak next. Yeah, yeah, no, very good. Bye, Matt. All the best, mate. Thank you very much. Thanks, Mark. And that was Mark Hazeman. As with all of our conversations, I'm keen to hear your thoughts, but particularly with this one. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. Finally, you can tell us directly what you think by sending an email to producer at brewsnews.com.au. All letters received will receive a Brews News bottle opener. We love hearing your thoughts on the stories we cover because beer is a conversation. Malt has been supplying the best ingredients to Australian and New Zealand brewers for 30 years. Their range of malt, hops and yeast is sure to take your beer to the next level. Proud sponsors of Brews News and Beer as a Conversation since the very beginning. Learn more about Cry Malt at www.crymalt.com.